Thanks for listening in to the Calvary Podcast, coming to you from Miami, Florida. We're so glad you've joined us. We hope today's message will encourage you and remind you that God is with you and He's for you. Here's today's message. James chapter 4, and uh, it's a very short chapter. We're going to read throughout the entire chapter, so very short. We're going to read through it very quickly. Uh, So starting in verse 1, the word of the Lord says this. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive. Why? Because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passion. See, James, he's, he's like, here's just a quick note for everybody. He's, he's a little harsh. He's going to be very straightforward. He's a little rough around the edges. And what he's trying to do is really just call out the church right now. And he's trying to address some things of, of what he's been hearing. So as we continue, verse 4 says, You adulterous people, you do not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God. Therefore, whoever wishes to be, my fr- to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is, it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? And, and like, think of this as like a sandwich, right? Where this chapter is like a big old sandwich and we just read, we just read the, first, the, first half, the first part, which is like the bread on top. Right now we're about to eat the meat in the middle with this one verse. And it says, but he gives more grace. Read that with me, church but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Hey, James, (laughs) calm down. (laughs) You're talking to me all wrong here. (laughs) We're going to continue. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. And this James, he's like really calling them out. There is only one lawgiver and one judge, which is God. And he is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Other translation says that your life is like a vapor, just comes and goes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. And we'll wrap up with this verse. So whatever you know the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him, it is a sin. Man, so good. So it's like these verses we just read, again, very short chapter. You could read it in just a few minutes as we just did. But there's so much in here that James is trying to, trying to convey, that he's trying to communicate to the church. And today we're going to unpack this a little bit and we're going we're gonna to see how that can apply to our lives here today. So if you're writing notes, I've titled today's message, The War Within. The War Within. Look to your neighbor, tell them, The War Within. There you go, come on. We're going to read some more about this now and we're going to talk about this over the next 20, 25 minutes. But before we do, why don't we close our eyes, bow our heads and let's ask God to bless this time. Jesus, we thank you, Lord. 
Lord, thank you for your goodness and your grace. Thank you that we can um, worship you freely, God, that we can come into your presence. God, I pray that um, anybody that's here, God, whether they're in the auditorium and online or additional seating, anyone under the sound of my voice, God, that, that does not know you, Jesus, that they would come to know you, Jesus. That, God, that you would anoint my lips to declare your word and that you would minister to your people however it is that you seem fit, God. May they not hear from a man, but from you today, Jesus. So, Lord, we love you, we thank you, and we praise you. And all the Calvary Church said, amen. amen. Come on, can you make some noise for Jesus one more time, Calvary? The year 1919, a little over uh, 100 years ago, uh, the end came to the First World War. And while the battles, the actual fighting ended in November of 1918, um, in 1919, there was a treaty signed called the Treaty of Versailles, which is it's, it's known as the actual agreement that ended the war because the, the central powers led by Germany actually disarmed themselves and said, hey, we are no longer in a state of war. And this treaty had many clauses. It had several uh, uh, components to it. But three of the most notable are uh, because of this treaty and at the end of the war, because Germany lost, France basically imposed on them that they would need to change their, they would need to give up some of their territory. They had to give up land. So they had to give up, Germany had to give up land to neighboring countries like France and Poland. Another aspect of this is that they had to take on all the guilt of the war and pay reparations. So they had to pay all these countries that actually won the war, they had to pay for all the damages and for the cost of putting on the war, which at that time was about $34 billion, the equivalent to now of over $600 billion. It's a lot of cheddar, you know what I mean? And another aspect of this treaty is that Germany would have to disarm themselves, essentially to the point where their military was crippled, that they couldn't even rebuild their military. And basically, France and the Allied powers, they strong-armed Germany because they knew, we won. There's no way you're going to be able to combat this. So they made sure they got everything they could out of this agreement. And historians would tell us that this was, very, this was a very harsh agreement. These were very harsh clauses in the Treaty of Versailles. And the reason being, and what we can see in history, is that because of this treaty, we saw that Germany ended up in economic collapse. They were struggling. There was a lot of, they were going into poverty. There was a lot of bitterness and resentment from Germany to the world. What this bitterness and resentment led to was f flaming. It was, it was, it was, it was fueling the, the rise of the Nazi party. And we all know that led to World War II. And, and why do I share this, this tale in world history? I share it because, bless you, I share it because... As we examine it, we can see how this alludes to exactly what James is talking about. These wars that are happening around you, these fights, this conflict, these battles, is because of our selfishness. Just like what France imposed on Germany, it was their self-ambition that caused that war. It was their lack of humility. It was their presence of arrogance that caused the war to come. And, and James is talking about that very thing here in the text that we read. That there's the war that's happening amongst yourselves is because of your selfishness. It's because of your, your own desires, your passions. That's why they start. See, the, we all as human beings, we have a gravitational pull to ourselves. We're born selfish. I have two kids right now. They're both under, they're, like Zachary is 13 months old and Brooklyn is now four weeks old. I got two kids under two. They are selfish. Like... If I have a bottle and I'm trying to feed my daughter, my son sees it and he wants it for he wants one for himself. All of us, we have an innate gravitational pull to me. 
And that's the big problem that we see here that James is trying to address is that our selfish passions and desires, they hijack our ability to live in peace. The, these desires, these passions, our selfishness, our, our, our arrogance, it, 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 it fuels the conflict we have in our life and we will not be able to live in peace so long as we battle with them. It's the war within. And let's be real, we've all been there. Like we've, we've all have, have had those moments in our lives. Like I'm a parent now, so I know for a fact I'm gonna say this, but I remember very clearly my parents or other adults when I was a child, they'll say, hey, it's my way or the highway. <laughs> I can't wait to say it. <laughs> but that's the thing, like we want things our way. Some of us in here today that maybe our marriages are struggling and our, we have conflict, unnecessary conflict in our marriages because we want things our way. We put these expectations on our spouse. Like I've, I've seen people, and I'm, you know, myself included, like people argue, like husbands and wife argue over what direction the toilet paper goes, which it should go down. Just <laughs> let's, let's be clear here. Let's not go crazy. But people argue over the silliest things because we are selfish. We want things our way. Your family feels like it's falling apart because your kids are not conforming to the image that you had for them. Like, why aren't you going to school for this? So then you argue and you bicker and there's, there's passive aggressive comments and there's all these things that cause these battles in our life. And here's the reality, conflict is inevitable, right? Like, let's put that out there. As long as there are two people in this world who are born at separate times, like they are different people, there will always be a form of conflict. What they're trying to address is the unnecessary conflict. The, the conflict that keeps us up at night. The, the fights that we think about at three o'clock in the morning that we can't sleep because of them. The, the, the squabbles, I looked up synonyms for, for, for war, right? The squabbles that we have that, that don't allow us to get along with people, but along with ourselves. Like we, 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 get, we get so discontent with ourselves. But again, these passions, they take over. And there's some of us, what can easily happen is that we become so opinionated and we become so passionate about our opinions and our, and our thoughts and the way things should be that it leads us to think poorly of others, to say things that aren't favorable towards others. Like, hey, what do you mean you voted Democrat? You must not have a brain. What do you mean you voted Republican? You must not have a heart. It happens. And let's go to the even hotter topics. What do you mean PDQ is better than Chick-fil-A? You have no taste. <laughs> Which, for the record, Chick-fil-A is the best. So, yeah, let's, just, let's be clear here. But that, can, that happens in our lives, and that causes wars amongst us. Yeah, I try to keep it light here because this is very confronting that our selfish desires, our passions, they, they keep us at war yeah. at all times. Or maybe we even do things for the wrong motives. It's what James was pointing out when he says that you ask and you don't get because you ask for the wrong reasons. There's some of us in here today that maybe, and, and this maybe for, for my married folk, um, you know you did something wrong. There's an offense that's looming, but your spouse does not know. So husbands, you know your wife is about to get mad, so you bring home flowers or you bring home a gift. Not because you wanted to gift them something, but because you wanted to cover up an offense. Like, that's a wrong motive of something good. Maybe you wanted to start your own business or a, no, or a nonprofit, but yet you did it out of resentment. You did it out of bitterness. Or maybe you're, you're here and you're part of our dream team and, and you, you serve at church, you give every week. And it's like, yeah, I go to my church every single Sunday. I sing the song Jehovah, it's amazing. I love, I know all the lyrics. I, get, I help people who are in need. I do all this, but you do it so that people can see you in a certain way and not because you generally want to serve the Lord and want to worship him. Like, there's a, there's, a, there's a major heart check that's happening because of the war that's happening within our hearts. So just, again, we've all been there. Just a, a quick example 
Like I mentioned, I have a 13-month-old, and, and, and he's amazing. I love him right now. He's probably in kids' ministry. And, 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 and here's the thing. Zachary, it was very difficult to put to sleep. Like when, when he was, even now to this day, it's a process. Like we have a family chat and we send each other like messages like, hey, how did you beat the record? How long did it take you to put him down? 30 minutes, new record. Like it's that crazy. And me and my wife, were first, we were first time parents. Like we barely knew what we were doing. We were figuring it out. And thankfully, you know, cause it's 2000, well then 2022. So technology has advanced. There's an app that we downloaded that would track all of his naps. Every time we fed him, every time we changed them, what type of changing was required. And, and we use that app. We developed a system. I'm a systems guy. So it's like, Hey, I'm not going to not sleep here. Like we need to figure this out. And I, I, I'm going to be real. I hated putting them to sleep. Because I wanted to do things. I wanted to go to the gym. I wanted to watch the Pat McAfee show. I wanted to do whatever. I just wanted to do me. And here's the thing. I'm a chess player. I don't play checkers. So that means I was always a step ahead. What I ended up doing is I would go to our app and I would look at his patterns throughout the day. So what would end up happening is say if it's a day off like a Saturday, I would wake up extra early and I would tell my wife, hey, no, 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 get rest. Don't worry about it. I'll take care of him. Because I know if I fed him first... Because we, we, we would change shifts after every task. I knew if I fed him first, he would end up being the one to put him for a nap, to put him to sleep at night. And, and, and look, it worked. It worked until she found out. <laughs> because what would end up happening is, I would, say it would be a week that she would wake up, uh, my wife would wake up, and then she would feed him. And I, I remember just like my heart starting to race and I'm breathing harder and, and I wear my heart on the sleeve. If I'm upset, you're going to know I'm upset and I'm talking with an attitude. I'm like, what do you mean you fed him? I was going to do it because I, I love you, you know? I want you to sleep. <laughs> and uh, yeah, here, and it will come out, like an attitude would come out in my voice. And, and for all my single guys, when you're going to be dating, let me tell you about New York Ricans. Um, when you give them an attitude, they're going to match you and, and maybe take it up a notch. So we would, you know, we don't fight in our house. We don't fight. We have heated conversations, you know, we have verbal jousts, um, but it would lead to a whole bunch of problems because again, I had to check my heart. It's like, I was being selfish. I just wanted to do me, but I was more concerned over my own desires than actually helping my wife and managing the workload. And by the grace of God, you know, we're good. We talked over that and we see a therapist regularly as maintenance for our marriage. You know, I'm just so good. I care about my marriage. You know what I mean? But like, like, but we... We do all that, but again, the, the problem that, that arose or the problems that arose were a complete direct result of my selfish desires. Again, we've all been there, but let's go back to the text that we read, what James is trying to address here, what James is talking about. Remember, he is telling us these fights that are happening amongst you is because there's a fight happening in you. And remember, this, this letter is directed towards Christians, people who believe the faith, people who are part of the church. People who say Jesus is Lord. So he's saying, hey, these fights happening in the church is because there's something going on inside of you. Yeah, yeah. Like, we all have that battle. Like, we want to do good, right? We want to live at peace. We don't want to conflict with people. Like, it's very rare. You, like, unless you're a masochist and you like that type of stuff. But like, like we, we desire tranquility in our lives. We want to live out this faith. But yet our passions, our selfishness, our desires, they get in the way time and time again. And James is not pulling any punches here. Like, again, he's rough around the edges. He's making it very, very clear. Like, he's not sugarcoating anything at all. He goes as far as to say that those selfish passions, they basically block you from experiencing God's grace for your life. So that means you end up, you end up at war with people around you, you end up living a life arrogantly, that you're self-sufficient, that you're bigger than what you ought to be. 
You end up becoming a friend of the world, which means that you are in line with the systems and the culture of the world, a.k.a. worldliness, ending up that you are an enemy of God. Hey, James, calm down. <laughs> like, I'm a Christian, you know? I can't be an enemy of God. You are an enemy of God. You are in opposition to him. Harsh words. But like, let's, let's recap over the past few weeks because again, James is writing this letter to Christians with the emphasis being uh, becoming mature in your faith. Like you're, just because you're a Christian today, does, like, it means you need to grow in that faith. You need to mature. We have a faith that works. I have a 13-month-old and a four-week-old. Guess what? In 10 years, I don't expect them that I have to give them a bottle every single day. Like they need to grow. The same way that as, uh, as human beings, physically, we need to mature. Spiritually, we need to mature. So just to recap the past few weeks in chapter one, we, re- we saw that uh, mature Christians are resilient, which means that they can overcome trials with joy. And chapter two, we saw that mature Christians are real. Like they have works behind their faith. You treat people the same. Chapter three, we saw that mature Christians are restrained. They have self-control. We watch what we say. And today what James is trying to, what James is trying to convey is that mature Christians are reserved. They're reflective. They're unboastful. They, they take time to think before they act. They, they, are, they have an attitude of humility. There is no pride. There is no arrogance. The selfishness is gone. Because again, James, the reason why he's writing specifically in this chapter is that he's addressing reports that he's been receiving. See, he heard that there was fights going on in the church. He heard that actually theologians are split between this, that people were literally killing themselves in the church. Like, that's, that's pretty crazy. Like... Imagine being in here and then you, get, you have beef with somebody and then you end up like killing them. That's, that was happening. You're at war with others. Yeah. He was hearing that people were living sinfully. They were a friend of the world. They were at war with themselves. They, that people were, they were, living, they were living as if they were in the world at war with God. He's pointing it out. War with others. War within you. War with yourself. War with God. War with others. War with ourselves. War with God. We find ourselves time and time again at war with others, at war with ourselves, at war with God. But one thing I do love about this, remember, like I mentioned, it's the little meat in the sandwich, right? James, in the middle of calling out all these different things, he puts the solution. He puts the solution to these wars at how we can no longer have to be at war, but instead can experience peace in our life. And that is essentially get right with God. The moment you get right with God, he makes everything else right. The moment you are on good terms with God, then guess what? Everything else between in your heart and amongst people will be made good because his grace will enable you for that. I'll say it this way. Be at peace with God to win the war within. Be at peace with God to win the war within. And here's the thing about that war that's happening within us. There's some of us in here today, and just like the story I shared, you know, we're losing at that war. We feel like a prisoner of war because our lives feel so small that our family doesn't want us around or we can't seem to hold friendships. We can't seem to get along with anybody, even at work. We, we hate our coworkers. Or, it's because we're at war with them. We, we hate ourselves. We hate our lives. We hate our, our current situations because we've been coveting our selfish desires. We we want what that person wants. We want the, the wife that that person has, the husband that person's has, the, the car that they have, their, that family, that perfect family. They get to go on vacation all the time. <laughs> we at war with others. We're at war with ourselves because we're so discontent. Or better yet, you, 
we do whatever we want. We sleep with whoever we want. We say whatever we want. We smoke whatever we want. We think whatever we want. And then still say, hey, God, I'm going to worship you. It's like, we're at war with God. But again, we, some of us in here today, we're probably angry at God because he hasn't answered that prayer that we've been praying for. But maybe we've been praying with the wrong motives. Like, hey, God, where's that million-dollar check? It's like, all right, were you thinking of others when you asked for that million dollars? Like, and don't get me wrong, God can do whatever he wants, however he wants, but there, there, if you notice, there are conditions to that, to, to receiving his grace. And that's to come to him correct. Be right with God and you'll be right with others. Be at peace with God if you want to win the war within. And, and look, I, I'm sharing all this and, I, and you're probably thinking like, man, like this is, this is pretty dark. Like this is, this is a downer. Like I thought I was supposed to be encouraged today. Look, be encouraged in this is that maybe you're here today and you're thinking, look, I'm too messed up. I've messed up too many times. There's no way I can get right with God. Like God would want nothing to do with me if he only knew what I thought, what I said, if he only knew what I did last month, last week, last night. But let me tell you, friend, and let me encourage you in this, is that the Bible that we read, our God, he is a God, the God that we worship to, the God that we serve, he is a God of second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth chances, as long as we come correct to him. The Bible tells us that his mercies are new every single morning. So if you woke up today, guess what? There is new mercy for you today. There is new grace for you today. The Bible tells us that where sin abounds, uh, grace abounds even more. That while we were still sinners, God chose us, that he loved us. Come on, can I get a witness in here? If you are grateful that we have a God that loves you, a God that just desires to be in relationship with you. But again... James claims if you want to experience that grace, you have to come correct. He tells us in verse 6 that God opposes the proud. He's actually quoting Proverbs there. That God opposes, he resists the proud, but he delights and he receives the humble. And, and in English, we see the word humble, but really what that word is the repentant. And to repent is a, is a term, it's, it's basically is to change your mind. It's to, it's to turn around and get in line with what God's plans are, God's ways are. So what James is saying here is, hey, if you want to be right with God, you have to be repentant towards God. And if you want to and, and, and if you want to win that war within, you have to be at peace with him. And I love that James doesn't just tell us the solution, but he gives us a prescription for that solution. He tells us the antidote for that. Like, how do we get right with God? How do, we, uh, how do we exhibit a, a posture of repentance? Well, look, I have three things that we can see from this text, and they're not exhaustive, but just from what we read earlier. The first thing is that we need to submit to God. We need to submit to God. In James chapter 4, verse 7, I'm going to be reading out the Amplified Translation. It says, so submit to the authority of God. Resist, his, resist the devil, stand firm against him, and he will flee from you. You want to know an easy way to overcome temptation, to overcome attacks from the enemy? Just submit to God. Let God be the one in charge. and Because the devil knows he can't beat him. He's a chump. He's a loser. He's beneath us. But yet we give him more power than what he deserves. It's because we don't have the source of that power as the head of our lives. Submit to God. And, when, and, and James, he's bringing this up because what he was getting reports of is that there was jealousy amongst the church. Again, people who coveted. There was fights happening because of that. They were slandering one another. They were, they were planning their lives as if God didn't exist. That's what the last couple of verses we read. It says that, hey, like you're boastful. You're saying I'm going to make all these plans for my life, and you don't even know what tomorrow has. You haven't even considered God in your future. They're basically practical atheists. It's like, hey, I say Jesus, I love you, but then you live your life as if he doesn't exist. 
That's what he's trying to call out. And the word submit that, that James, when he writes, it's a military term. It means to, to, fall, to get in your proper rank. Like if a, if a regular lay soldier tries to give commands as a general, that's a problem. There's a lot of us today that we need to get in our rank that basically to submit is to no longer resist and to yield to their authority. So for anybody in here who watches combat sports, and I, I grew up, I, I grew up watching wrestling. I grew up wrestling myself. I grew up uh, uh, watching UFC and all these things. So in, in these combat sports, there are different ways in which you can win your, your match. And one of them is called a submission, essentially to make your opponent tap out. And there's two different forms of submission. There's a joint lock, which is like an arm bar or like an ankle lock. And then there's a, there's a choke, which could be like a guillotine choke or a rear naked choke. For some, for some everybody in here like, who doesn't know about this, this sounds like gibberish to you. But hear me out. These are trained fighters. These are trained professionals that some of them have to actually um, register themselves as lethal weapons. And what happens in some fights is that when that, when that hold is in, when it's incorrectly. Like the pain comes instantly and it's time to tap out because chances are you're not going to get out of it. But what ends up happening is that there are some fighters who will not tap out. And when you don't tap out, you end up more hurt than what you would have been in the first place. Like you end up passing out and then now they have to worry about, did you lose oxygen in your brain? Your arm literally gets broken in two. Like it's crazy. You would have lost anyway, but now you just made it worse. I truly believe there's some of us in here today that God has us in a, in, a, in a rear naked choke. He has us in an arm bar and we're refusing to tap out and where our lives are suffering because of it. But here's the thing. James is telling us, submit to God, tap out. That's it. There's no reason to just continue fighting. Just let him take over. Let him have authority in your life. Let him be the head of your life. And you'll see how that will impact every other area. And there's some of us in here today that we're, we're, we're still struggling with the idea of submission, but yet we know, we know, we know, we know. God has told us time and time again, whether it's through situations or through people, that we just need to give him our life. We need to submit and surrender to him. There's some of us in here today, like, you know, the Bible says that certain lifestyles are sinful, but we do it anyway. There's some of us in here today that God has spared you from death time and time again. You should have overdosed that one time. You should have died in that car accident when you were drunk. You should have been dead by now, but yet God has spared you and you, should, and you know better to give your life to him. But yet we choose to refuse to tap out. And we're walking around with our arm dangling. We're walking around with our, with our lives bruised and suffering because of it. Submit to God. We know we need to end that affair. We know you need, to, you need to end that relationship. You know you need to seek counseling. But yet you're not. Submit to God. The Apostle Paul, he warns about this in Romans chapter 8 about living a sinful life. In Romans chapter 8 verse 7, it says, The mind of the flesh with its sinful pursuits is actively hostile to God. It does not submit itself to God's laws. Why? Because it cannot. It's like a, it's like a dog with rabies. There's no controlling it. It's a wild animal. But yet we're told in the Proverbs as an encouragement that trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. Other translations say, in all your ways, submit to him and he will make your path straight. And I get it. Sometimes the submission, it's, it's not fun. It's not, and, and it is painful, right? Like if you've ever been in one of those locks, it is painful. But the moment you let go, it's like, okay, now you can start the process of healing. And this stuff is hard. It's, 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 it's hard to the soul, but it's like medicine to the soul. And, I, and as I look at submission, I, we can look to the perfect example in Jesus. That Jesus submitted to the will of the Father when he was praying at the Garden of Gethsemane the night before he was crucified. The very, he knew in just a few hours he was going to be murdered. 
he would be given up as a sacrifice. Jesus and praying and, and we see it in Luke chapter 22. It says that, Lord, let not my will be done, but your will be done. Amen. It's just something beautiful that when we submit to God, he just has a way of just working things out. That we can hold him to, we can hold him to his word when he says that I will work out all things for the good of those that are called according to my purpose. Second thing that we see here is that we need to draw near to God. Draw near to God. James chapter four, verse eight says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. So to draw near to God is, is to be in his presence. It's, it's through worship, it's through prayers, through his word. And, and here's the thing, if, if, if right now the only time that you are getting into the presence of God is on a Sunday or a midweek service, like a Wednesday, like there's always gonna be something missing. Yeah. It's hard to be like someone that you're not by. Like it's hard to, to emulate something that you know nothing of. So to be, to be near God is to become like God. A.W. Tozer, an amazing theologian, he wrote so many beautiful essays and articles, and there's one that's called Likeness is Nearness. And, and what he's trying to say is that the more you are like God, the nearer you are to God. And, and an, example, uh, an example of that would be like, say if I'm at home, I'm in my apartment, and my wife is in the other side, maybe in the kitchen or in the bedroom, and, and she's like 25, 30 feet away, but my dog is on my lap. I am nearer to my wife than I am to my dog because I am more like my wife. We have more in common. The only thing me and my dog have in common is that we're breathing and we have blood and we have a heart. Instead, no, I am more like my wife. So the, near, so the more we become more like God is the nearer we become to him. Are you following me? Like the... James is telling us, if you want to live a peaceful life, be like the Lord. Get close to him. That's the reason why we, we, we put an emphasis, a lot, a lot of, anybody who's up here that will teach, will say, here, something we do at Calvary is the first 15. Maybe you gotta wake up a little earlier in the morning, but the first 15 minutes of your day, spend five minutes in worship, five minutes in a word, five minutes in prayer, and you'll see how the rest of your day is affected. You will see how the rest of your life is affected. Your relationships will be affected. It's because you got close to God, you got near to him, so now you are going to become like God. You're going to become his character, his love, his grace that will be, will be, it will be just prevalent in your life. And, and the reason why James is writing this is because he wants to make it very clear like God is jealous. We serve a jealous God. He will not share you with anyone else. He will not share you with Satan. Like he, the, the, thing that, the thing that separates us from God is sin. And there's Christians that are, have undealt with sin in their life. And you're like, hey, I want to get close to God, but yet you haven't addressed that. It's, it's a prideful spirit when we don't address that sin. So that's why we, we always put an emphasis on being in, getting in community, getting, getting accountability around you. We need to have a posture like King David in Psalm 139 that says, search my heart. Search me and know my heart. Find any area that is offensive in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Some of us in here today, we just need to say, God, just put a spotlight. What are the areas that offend you? What are the areas that are separating me from you? Whether it's something I'm thinking, something I'm doing, something I'm, I'm seeing. God, help me in this so I can be nearer, more like you. Cleanse your hands, purify your hearts. And God's faithful to, to get close to you as you get closer to him. We read it time and time again in the Bible, Jeremiah 29, that call on to me and I will answer and I'll show you great and unsearchable things. Jeremiah 33, seek me and you will find me. Jesus tells us in the book of Matthew, knock and I will answer and it will be open to you. Ask and you will receive. But yet, we, we just have to make that decision. Like, hey, I, I'm, I'm willing to get to work. A faith that works. And I'm gonna get nearer to God. So again, the first thing is we, we submit to God. We draw near to God. And the third thing, and the band can come up now, is we'll humble yourself before God. 
Humble yourself before God. And I know it kind of sounds redundant, right? Because at first we said the, the, how we get right with God is when we come humble, which is repentant to him. But yet now we're saying, hey, be humble before him. James writes this again in, in verse 10 where he says that uh, God will exalt the, the humble. And he brings that up again because it's one thing to, to be submitted outwardly. Like you could say all the right things. You could show up to church every Sunday. You can sing all the songs. You know, every single, you have like five different playlists. You already pre-saved uh, Calvary Collected's album. You, you, you downloaded a, a leak of it on LimeWire. Like you already did all that, right? You can do it outwardly, but still be prideful in your heart. You could still think that there's something more that you, that you, you are smarter than God, that you know how you should live your life more than he does. So that's what James is trying to clear up here. It's like, hey, 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 submit yourself, get close to him, but like humble yourself. Humble yourself. I, you know, again, he, he, has, he puts an emphasis on cleansing your hands in the original text. And the reason for that is because there were, there, again, there was Christians that were dealing with undealt sin or they knew they were sinning, but they would laugh about it. It's like, yeah, I knew I slept with my, my girlfriend. I knew I slept with my boyfriend, <laughs> but God forgives me, right? He's full of grace. Like you are mocking the Lord. You are grieving the spirit there. You have a prideful heart. I actually, in the process of studying, I read a, a quote from Dr. Tony Evans. He's the best, he's the goat. And I love what he says here. He says that some people don't receive the help they need from God because they don't sin. Rather, they make mistakes. But Jesus didn't die for mistakes. He died for sins. And to call sin anything else is a symptom of pride. And as we just read in the text, not only does God hates a prideful heart, he opposes the proud, he resists, he does not delight in a prideful heart. He detests it. Pride makes us think more of ourselves than what we ought to, which is why James says like, who are you to judge? Who are you to judge your brother? Are you saying you are above God? Last time I checked, he's the only one that brings life and death. So how about you humble yourself? Don't talk poorly of others. Don't judge yourself. Why don't you, instead of looking at the speck in their eye, look at the log that's in your own. Jesus tells us that. But we, we have to have that humility in our heart, not just in our words, not just in our act, but in our heart. The apostle Paul in the book of Romans, I love how he says this. In, in Romans 12 verse three, he says that, for by grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to, but instead, to think of themselves with sober judgment. It's like, look, I'm not saying this to diminish anybody here. You know, we're, we're all, we're, we are all created in God's image, which means we have value, but like, we are no more special than one another. I have a microphone on my ear, but I am not more special than anybody here. Because ultimately, at the feet of Jesus, when we see him also face to face in heaven, he's gonna say one of two things. He's either gonna say, well done, my good and faithful servant, or he's gonna say, depart from me, I did not know you. But you choose which one he says to you. You choose the condition of what he says. And it's all based on if you are gonna have humility in your heart. And look, I, I, I've been there. Like, I, I've personally been there. I've shared my story a couple times, but. But like, I lived my life that way. I've lived my life like I didn't submit to God. Like I knew of God, but I didn't, I wanted nothing to do with him. I made no plans with him in my life. He was, I didn't, I didn't even want to deal with him. It's like, man, he must not be real. Like I wanted nothing to do with God, living however I wanted. Did whatever I wanted. I used to even say I was the master of my own universe until there was a time where I battled depression for an entire year, wanted to kill myself. I hated everyone around me. I hated my own life. I hated everything. I hated God. 
And it got to a point where I had to hit rock bottom before I made a decision like, you know what? I can't, I'm tapping out now. That's it. My limbs are literally falling off from me resisting. Like I am tapping out at this point. I'm gonna get close to you and I'm gonna humble myself that I am not in control, but instead you are. And I share that story because there's some of us in here today that's exactly what we need to do. Here's the thing about humility. God's gonna get it anyway. Like God's gonna, we're gonna at one point, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord, right? But you choose if you come before him humble or he has to humiliate you. Like, let that sink in. We determine whether or not we can come humble to him or whether eventually he's gonna have to humble us. And I don't know about you, but I'm afraid of that. God is way more powerful than what I can, that any of us can even fathom. So don't be in opposition to a certified winner, right? Like God will not share you. Let's be humble before him. Why don't we stand up to our feet and I'm going to wrap up right now. And I just want to share just if we do these things, right? If we have a repentant heart, if we, if we are at peace with God, then yeah, we can win that war and we can fulfill what the prophet Isaiah says, where he says that the effect of righteousness will be peace. It'll be quietness. There's, you will be at peace with God, peace with others, peace with yourself. You don't have to fight anymore. The war within, we can overcome it. But we have to be right with God. And I'm going to ask that we close our eyes and bow our heads. And I'm going to pray for two, two groups of people real quick. And, and uh, what I want to, the first group of people are people that you're Christian. Like you are a believer of Jesus. You have, you say you're a Christian. You, you believe in God. Like you, you have this faith in but yet you're struggling with that idea of submission. Like there are some areas in your life that, you know what? Yeah, I need to, I need to talk to a pastor. I need to, I need to confess. I need to, I need to get right with God. I need, to, I need to be humble. I need to stop doing things my own way and do things God's way. And if you're here today, and, and what I wanna do is I just wanna acknowledge who I can pray for. I'm gonna ask you to raise your hand on the count of three and, and I'm gonna ask pastors and leaders, if you see a hand, just to go and pray for them as I lead us in a prayer and the team is playing behind us. But if you're here today, again, you are of the faith, but yet you, struggle and you were like you know what that's it today's the day i'm gonna fully surrender today's the day that i'm gonna get closer to him today's the day that i'm gonna humble myself if that's you on the counter you can put your hand up one two three that's you come on yeah i see you guys if i could ask pastors leaders just to walk around the auditorium pray connect with leaders if you can help us out if you see a hand up just to lay a hand on the shoulder if you see somebody next to you and they have a hand up if you could just pray for them as well so lord jesus we thank you god Lord, we thank you because you are awesome, because you are mighty, because you are good, because you're faithful. Jesus, we thank you, Lord, that, that God, that you love us so much that so long as we come repentant to you, you're faithful to forgive. And so, God, I pray for every single person here with their hand raised, those in additional seating, those at home, anybody on the sound of my voice that maybe their hand isn't raised, but they're making that decision in their heart. God, I pray for them right now, God, that, Lord, you give them peace. That, God, that, that war that's happening within them, God, that it would subside. That, God, they would have peace in their families, peace in their workplace, peace in their relationships, peace in their mind, peace in their spirit, peace in their heart. They would have peace with you, Jesus. That, God, you're faithful. And so, Lord, I pray that you just continue to have your way in our life, God. That, Lord, we would make you Lord of our life, the full authority, the final and only authority in our life, Jesus that we would become more like you, God, and people would see that in the way that we speak, the way that we think, the way that we walk, the way that we talk. And that, Lord, we would always have a repentant heart towards you, that if there's ever a time that we 
have this arrogance that creeps up, this pride, this selfishness, that Lord, that you would convict us in that moment, Jesus. And that Lord, we would turn to you. So Lord, we love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. And um, I, I just wanna pray for, for one more group of people and with eyes still closed, heads still bowed. If you're here today, uh, nobody looking around, please. And uh, There's a moment for reverence and, and privacy. And if you're here today and you, ha- you, you can't say you have a relationship with God, like you, you don't know him, you're not a Christian, but you wanna make that decision. And the first step, again, is admitting that you were wrong and that, hey, God, I, I just wanna, to submit to God is to receive him in your heart. And if that's you here today and you wanna make that decision, or maybe you're here today and you would say you are of the faith, but you've done what the Bible says is backslidden and you feel so far from God, you've been a friend of the world and you wanna recommit your life to Jesus here today, on the count of three, I'm gonna ask you to raise your hand, you can put it back down. See, the Bible tells us that God is holy and God cannot be with sin. Sin separates us from God. We talked about that earlier. And the price for sin is death. And God knowing that there was no way that we can ever pay for our own sins, there was never no way that we can ever like meet his standard, that we all have fallen short of his standard. He said he had a plan in mind. He sent Jesus down from heaven. He, he lived a perfect life. He was born as a baby and he lived a blameless life, fulfilling the standard, knowing that you and I could not fulfill. And Jesus gave himself up on a cross where he was stabbed, he was beaten, he was whipped. They put a crown of thorns on him to mock him. They spat on him. They stripped him down naked. They stabbed him. They punched him. They wagged their head at him. And even Jesus, knowing that's why he came to this earth, he had you and he had me in mind. So Jesus, he died on that cross. But three days later, he rose again to defeat what's called the sting of death. And that all we need to do to accept that free gift of forgiveness is Believe in our heart, declare with our mouth that he's Lord, and we'll be saved. And if you're here today and you want to make that decision, you want that free gift of forgiveness. You want to recommit your life to Jesus. You want to commit your life to Jesus for the first time today. On the count of three, I'm going to ask you to put your hand up. You can put it right back down. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to do any of that. I just want to acknowledge who I'm praying for. So if that's you today and you want to make that decision, you can put your hand up. One, God loves you. Two, your life will never be the same again. Three, if that's you, you can put your hand up. You can put it right back down. I see you in the back. God bless you. I see 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 you. Yep. God bless you. Come on. I see you. I see you in the back. Amen. Come on. And look, if you made that decision here today and I just want to tell you it's the best decision you can make. And what I want to do is I want to lead you in a prayer. It's not a prayer to a pastor, to a church. It's a prayer to God. And it's a simple repeat after me prayer and because we're a family we're all going to say it together so repeat after me dear heavenly father thank you for today thank you for this opportunity i admit that i'm a sinner and that my sin separates me from you jesus i believe that you're the son of god that you died for my sins and on the third day you resurrected come into my life be my lord be my friend and be my savior. From today on, I am saved, I am healed, and I'm forgiven. And I will follow you all the days of my life. Jesus, I love you and I thank you. And it's in Jesus' name and all the Calvary Church said, amen. Come on church, can we put our hands together for everybody who made that decision today? Come on. Hey, like I just mentioned, it's the best decision you can ever make. And uh, look, I can't guarantee your life is gonna be perfect, but I can guarantee you have the perfect one 
with you. And if you made that decision, we actually have a free gift for you. We want to put this in your hands. Thank you so much, Kevin. It's, you're going to see a bunch of team members outside in the lobby or outside in the, in the front patio. They're going to be waving these around. It's a free Bible, some gifts in here, resources for you. They are nicer than the people at Chick-fil-A. So like, please do not leave here without this. They may ask for some information, but if you don't feel comfortable giving it out, that's okay. But do not leave out of here without talking to somebody and getting this in your hand. But come on, church, can we put our hands together one more time for everybody who made that decision? Thank you so much. Hey, our hope and prayer is that not just hearing a Sunday message, but throughout the week, we will, time, we will find time to reflect and to submit to God, to draw near to Him and to humble ourselves before him. But before we leave, we're gonna leave out of here uh, worshiping God about how good and how mighty he is. Why don't we lift up our hands and let's pray. So Jesus, we thank you, Lord. Thank you for your goodness and grace, God. Thank you, Jesus, that you are faithful, you are kind, that you are merciful, God. God, I pray that you would just go before us in this week, God, that, Lord, that you would bring peace to all of our relationships, peace in our hearts, and peace with you, Jesus. So, Lord, we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.